Welcome to Leadership Lessons. I'm Todd Gray, the Executive Director for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Leadership Lessons is a program where we talk to faithful leaders who are making an impact for the gospel. My guest today is Bart Barber. We're going to talk a lot about Bart. This is this is one of three interviews that we'll host with uh, individual individuals who've been named as candidates who will be announced at the SBC meeting in, in Anaheim. Bart is one of those three. His name's been released. And Bart, thank you for joining Leadership Lessons. Thank you, Todd, for having me. And hello to Kentucky Baptists. You are welcome, brother. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Let's take a couple of minutes and get to know you. Tell us about yourself and your ministry. I tried real hard to be born in Kentucky, but didn't quite make it. Uh, I was born in northeast Arkansas, so uh, across a couple of rivers, and I could have been there, uh, in a small town called Lake City. Uh, my parents were good, godly parents, took me to church uh, from the time I was born. I was related to three-fourths of the people in the little church. I started going to church, too. Uh, came to know the Lord very early. God called me to preach at a summer boys' camp when I was 11. I preached my first sermon on a mission trip to Michigan in 1985 when I was 15 and um, led a, a, as a pastor, a small church there as a senior in high school, and then left there to go to college and then seminary. I've been, uh, I'm, I'm married to Tracy. I have two kids, Jim and Sarah. We've been at First Baptist Church in Farmersville, Texas for, tw for 23 years, since 1999. That's incredible. So do you have any Kentucky connections? Well, I, I do have some. Uh, I used to go to Kentucky, to Mayfield, Kentucky. Uh, my dad started a business when I was a teenager manufacturing lamps to go in the guest rooms of hotels and motels. And we bought lampshades and ceramics from uh, lampshades from the Butler Shade Company in Mayfield and ceramics from uh, USA Ceramics. And uh, so I would drive up into that part of Kentucky uh, every few weeks to pick up another load and bring it back down to Truman, Arkansas. You should have picked up some pulled pork barbecue while you were in Mayfield. Good stuff up there. Some yeah, of the, some of the best. All right. So you are announced as a candidate who will be nominated at the convention in Anaheim. Why, why Bart, are you interested in being considered for SBC president? I was so disinterested. Todd, uh, for a long time, I've had friends who have asked me about this for several years who will testify to that. Some have done that openly uh, for several years. Uh, I will say that uh, not long ago, uh, God just put in front of me uh, a secondary calling, uh, second to my calling as a pastor. Uh, whatever role he put in front of me to try to help make our convention a healthier convention, healthier family of churches, uh, to do my part to do that. I've I've been a blogger. I've been involved online since 2006. I tell people every mistake that you can possibly make uh, online, I've made it at some point or another. Uh, not everything that I've done has strengthened our family of churches. And from, from now uh, until the day God calls me home, I want to do little things uh, to try to help make our convention healthier. And uh, I thought for a long time that uh, that really, as as controversial as the nature of our convention gets to be sometimes, as polarized as we are sometimes, and as uh, strident as we become, especially with people who are serving in official roles in our convention, uh, for a long time I thought, really, Bart, you're in a better position to help things not having a title 
but just being a pastor who loves the convention and who tries to, to be an example uh, from outside of all of that. Uh, but uh, there just came a time when I came to the end of my stubbornness as people came to me and said, uh, somebody's got to step up and, uh, you know, every, every year somebody has to step up and take leadership of the convention uh, and that somebody is going to be you this year, we think. And so, um, so at the, at the behest of some people who at least say they're my friends and, uh, at the end of prayer, I came to the point where I decided that, uh, that it was God's will, at least for me to be a candidate, uh, to be a nominee, uh, for president this year. And, uh, and whether I'm elected or not, uh, even if I am elected after the end of my time of service goes, I intend to be faithful to that calling from here on out as long as I can to do what I can to help make our family of churches healthier. Bart, thank you for your willingness to, to step up and be, be considered. In fact, I heard you say in a comment about uh, Tom Askell, who's also one of the candidates, we interviewed Tom in a couple of weeks, that uh, you appreciated his willingness to step up to a microphone at the at our annual meetings and say, because that's challenging enough. And so I thank you for being willing to step up and be, be considered and thankful to him and Robin as well. Uh, what do you think uh, your unique ministry experiences will offer to the role of SBC president? Well, um, I think uh, the people who have asked me to do this, uh, the things that they've brought up uh, have been that I've tended to be someone who listens to what people have to say and uh, attempts to create understanding instead of misunderstanding. Uh, if, uh, if accurate understanding of one another uh, causes issues that we need to work through, uh, I try to promote uh, conflict resolution, working through those issues uh, but I also think in the first place, we ought to make sure that we just understand what each other's saying. Uh, and so that kind of an approach that, uh, that is, is willing to engage in disagreement when it needs to be engaged in, but doesn't love that, doesn't hunger for that, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't uh, you know, I've known some people who would fight you at the drop of a hat, and they would drop the hat for you. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and I try to be the opposite of that. Uh, because God calls us uh, to be the opposite of that. And so they've pointed to that and have believed that uh, through my leadership, I could help us to act like brothers instead of acting like adversaries. Um, I would also say uh, that I've, I've spent a lot of time uh, reading boring old books about, uh, not boring to me, but books about Baptist ecclesiology, Baptist polity, Southern Baptist history, um, so for someone who uh, would have to have a responsibility of moderating our meeting and, and making wise choices for people to serve on committees and, and, uh, and things like that, uh, I do think that, um, that it helps that I have loved Southern Baptist history, Southern Baptist polity, Baptist ecclesiology for a long time, and have spent a long time studying and learning uh, about those things. Um, and, um, so, and then, you know, the last thing I think, people have pointed to some occasions where I've served Southern Baptists in the past that uh, I did things that they thought were courageous. And- um, Were or weren't? Were, are, were. Okay. were. Uh, that, that's, that that's a reason that they, you know, they've looked at me and said, um, you know, you're someone who's willing to tackle hard things uh, without being a hard person. And, uh, and because of that, 
um, you know, there are a lot of people who would say, Bart, really, we disagree with you about two or three things, mm-hmm. but we still would like for you to run and to serve in this way. And, and those are the things that they cite. Um, can you think of anyone in your time in SBC life who's been, you know, there's been no perfect SBC president, but there've been some good ones. Can you think of, of someone who's been kind of a, you think was a good, helpful model SBC president? Maybe even someone that you would kind of look to as an example for yourself if you were in that role. So, um, are you going to force me to stay within my lifetime? Because I really like, <laughs> no, to, absolutely not. I really like to go outside of my lifetime. Sure. And and Kentucky Baptists ought to love this because okay. even though uh, there's a point or two that I would, would disagree with him, uh, Edgar Young Mullins, E.Y. Mullins, who's uh, uh, famous in Kentucky history and in the SBC, um, um, what I love about E.Y. Mullins is Southern Baptists were fighting like crazy before E.Y. Mullins came on the scene. Uh, Thomas Treadwell Eaton was uh, a candidate to be president of Southern Seminary. B.H. Uh, uh, Carroll from down here in Texas was on the board. Uh, there was a lot of controversy coming out of the Whitsitt controversy that extended over into this selection of a, of a president. And, um, and, and E.Y. Mullins uh, comes in from Massachusetts, of all places, and uh, winds up serving as president of Southern Seminary, winds up serving as president of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, is instrumental in the creation of the Baptist Faith and Message in 1925, uh, and has a hand in the formation of the cooperative program. And um, at the end of his life, after serving in all of those ways, Southern Baptists were not fighting each other. They uh, They were more unified than they had ever been. He didn't do that by himself. Uh, he had he had help uh, from some noteworthy Texans uh, and some <laughs> other folks as well. Uh, but uh, but I love that model. Uh, and that's not to say that there's nobody alive that I think was a good president. Uh, I, I'm I'm pointing as much to the circumstances as to the man uh, that this is a president who came into a fractured and divided time in our convention over some real issues and was able to lead our convention into unity and a unity that lasted really for for quite some time after after he served. Well, thank you for, for mentioning that. So um, you mentioned some things that other folks have said about you as why you'd be a good candidate for this role. What do you what do you think is your greatest strength as a leader? You've been at the church where you are for twenty years, twenty twenty plus years. What would your how would your church members answer that question? Bart, this is this is a great thing about Bart as a as a leader. Well. Um, they uh, they don't hate my preaching, okay. uh, and so that's a that's a good strength. But beyond that, in terms of leading uh, our church in decision making, um, I think I think they would say I hope they would say that Bart Barber is the kind of guy who could fairly preside over the meeting to decide whether to fire Bart or not. Um, so. I'm, uh, you know, I've always tried to be someone who respected the voices of other people in the congregation, uh, didn't think I was too big for my britches, um, didn't, uh, didn't railroad things through, but instead, I'm very committed to congregational church polity, and uh, I've always believed that my job as a leader was to, uh, was to, to win over people informally, uh, so that then formally we could go forward and make decisions and do what was right uh, for the church. And, and a lot of that has, uh, has come from 
just trying to communicate with people early and often uh, about decisions that we face as a church and, uh, and encouraging people to pray about those things and trying to remind people that everybody has a vote, but Jesus is Lord mm-hmm. of the church. That's good. And the reason we have a vote is because uh, it's a discipleship opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work to bring our congregation, all of us together, onto onto God's page, uh, and to be able to move forward together. And uh, that process is not an obstacle. And I think the same thing about the SBC. Uh, I, I don't come into the possibility of serving as SBC president saying, "All right, I got I got my agenda that I'm going to accomplish, and here's my vision, and I'm going to make sure that the obstacle of the messengers doesn't." get in the way of me accomplishing my vision. Uh, instead, I think that the messenger body is the mission. Uh, if you if you get the messenger body prayed up and on the same page together and the Holy Spirit moving inside them, you'll accomplish far more than you think you would just by being able to shove something through uh, over, over their objections. Bart, those same folks who've loved you as pastor for 23 years, who've invested in you and watched you grow, what would they say? Where would they say you need to grow as a as a leader? Well, um, that's a real good question, um, and um, uh, gosh, it, it just um, uh, I, I'll tell you some things that they've mentioned to me uh, along the way as we've as we've evaluated uh, different things. Uh, I think that they would say that. Um, that, that sometimes, on occasion, I say yes to too many things. Okay. Uh, that's why we've had a real careful conversation about this uh, around here, and the church has been very supportive of me uh, in this. Uh, but um, I think they would. Uh, I, th- I think they would also say that um, that I have to make sure that in my efforts to bring everyone on board, I don't wait too long to get the last few people on board. But that, uh, but that I, that that I'm able to pull the trigger and help us move forward even before we've gathered everyone, and uh, I think that's a strength. But I think it's a strength that can also turn into a weakness if you're not real careful about it, because you can paralyze uh, yeah. a, a decision-making body of people, waiting for a few people who are just really having trouble getting there. Uh, but nice. I, I like to. Uh, my heart is a is a is a no man left behind uh, mm-hmm. kind of heart. And uh, and so sometimes the congregation has to say, look, we've made a decision. It's time to move forward. That's super helpful. I appreciate you sharing so folks can better know who you are. So, Bart, in a minute or less, uh, what does it mean to be Southern Baptist? So I think it's really summed up in the Baptist faith message and the cooperative program. Uh, those things that have endured for a long time. Obviously, the Southern Baptist Convention existed before we had either of those things. But before we had the Baptist faith and message, we had Baptist doctrine. And that's always been uh, a foundational part of what it means. But Baptist associations sprout up without causes or needs or budgets or employees or anything like that. We, we see that in the story of Baptist history because these churches look at each other and say, gosh, we kind of belong together, don't we? Uh, we're, we're very similar in our, in our doctrine and practice and outlook and— um, and, and so and so that sort of draws us together. And I think the Baptist faith and message really exemplifies that. It's our opportunity to state some things that we believe that that 
distinguish us and differentiate us from other denominations. And then the cooperative program talks about once we're together, the Holy Spirit is uh, upon us and calling us to the work of the Great Commission. What are we going to do together once we are together? And, um, and the cooperative program is all about that. It's about our working together to, to call out people who are called to ministry as, as missionaries and as pastors and as other people who are ministering in the church and other places, and to put everything together in place that needs to be in place to train and equip them, and then to send them out in our states, in the United States, beyond our states, in the world, to share the gospel and plant churches that are healthy and reproducing. And um, so I think if you if you love Baptist doctrine and you love the cooperative program, why would you be anything other than Southern Baptist? Uh, Baptist doctrine and Baptist cooperation. That makes, yeah. makes perfect, perfect sense. So if you were to list what you see as the three greatest strengths of the Southern Baptist Convention, what would those be? Well, so the first thing that I would say is uh, we've got uh, a great missionary force of people who are at work all around the world, sharing the gospel, serving people in need. Uh, it's amazing what we do. The only people who aren't impressed by it are Southern Baptists who've gotten used to it. Uh, and anybody else looks at it and says, wow, this is incredible. Uh, I think the, the second thing that comes to mind for me, I'm biased here, Todd, I'm going to tell you, uh, because... My wife, Tracy, for 20 years has uh, volunteered with Southern Baptist Disaster Relief. And uh, through, uh, through the state Texas Baptist men here, she, uh, for many years, has been uh, the, the chair, the national chair of Disaster Relief Child Care. Uh, they, they roll up into a hurricane situation and... In 10 hours, they unpack a trailer and they've got a state-licensed daycare facility in place taking care of kids who've been traumatized while mom and dad go fill out FEMA paperwork. I remember when, uh, I think it was the NBC News was in Moore, Oklahoma, after one of those uh, tornadoes came through. And they said, you know, if you're, if you're waiting on FEMA to come and help you. You're going to be waiting a while, but the faith-based FEMA is already on the ground here, and they're they're helping people today. Uh, and they he mentioned Baptist men. He said the government's going to take a while, but Baptist men will get it done today. And so I think that's really an amazing thing. Their state conventions are heavily involved in uh, with with disaster relief, and and of course NAM is too. Uh, and then the IMB's got uh, international things that are going on now in Ukraine. Their response. I think that's something that's fabulous, but always it's been the case that the greatest thing going on in Southern Baptist life is local churches. Uh, and I think that's still the case, that uh, that we have autonomous local churches that are all over the place, such that communication departments for the Kentucky Baptist Convention and every other state convention and, um, and, for, the, and for the National Southern Baptist Convention, they're releasing stories every week that you've never heard and that I've never heard right. about some little church somewhere that's doing something innovative and godly and incredible to to live out and proclaim the gospel uh, to people who are around watching. Making the difference. Great, great answer. All right. So you give us the three greatest strengths as a great missionary force, disaster relief, local churches. What do you see as the three greatest challenges, Bart? 
So for the national convention, I think, for the Southern Baptist Convention, the three greatest challenges that we face right now are, uh, one, the sex abuse response. The sex abuse task force uh, is going to be bringing a report out any day now. We'll, we'll all be getting a look at the report from guideposts that's going to be presented to the entire convention. Um, that's a challenge not just because it's a, it's a business item for the SBC annual meeting, uh, and and not just because uh, you know we're we're concerned that uh, that the findings of this task force are going to reflect things that that may reflect poorly on some of our entities or our churches, uh, but also because um, of the second. I'm going to tell you the second challenge that we're facing, and I'm going to I'm going to link it with this one. The second challenge that we face is that. Uh, we're in a culture that is rapidly moving away from anything that's Judeo-Christian uh, that has uh, come to the point now where there's a hostility uh, against Christianity and particularly against our kind of Christianity. Yeah, the, the Southern Baptist Convention epitomizes the kind of Christianity that Hollywood doesn't like, the TV channel doesn't like, that the large sector of the internet doesn't like. We're the we're the foils of stories, and the and and we're the uh, antagonists in, in in movies and TV shows and whatever else. And so, because of that, I think really, Todd, that there's a that there's a that there's a time of opportunity coming in the midst of all that. Even though uh, there are frightening, ominous things that are happening, because this culture that's moving further and further away from biblical Christianity is also a culture that's creating more and more depression and anxiety and suicide attempt and whatever else in young people and teenagers. The, the stories that are coming out about uh, you know, the situation for young boys, the situation for teenagers in general, challenges that young girls are facing, uh, all of those things are things that I think, uh, from studying patterns of history, give an opportunity for generations coming up to look and say, hey, this big experiment that started in the 60s with the sexual revolution and with and with destabilization of families and everything, we got the short end of that stick. There's got to be something better than that out there. I think it's really difficult to make that case if you've got sex abuse happening in your churches. Yeah. That's that's taking the public uh, you know the, the public narrative away from the gospel of Christ, and so, uh, so and so, I think churches, our our credibility, in your view, could be damaged as a group of churches as we're trying to address the culture's bigger issues. I, exactly, that's exactly what I'm saying. When you put those two challenges together, I think it can happen that people get into our churches and and commit abuse, and if we're responding to that in the right way, yeah. Then I think that that can be that can not be something that that just shoots us in the foot when we're trying to reach the culture because because if we'll address this well, yep. who, who else is? Right. Public schools have been working like crazy for a long time to try to address this. You still see a story every few months about something mm -hmm. happening in a public school between a teacher and a student or something like that. And so, um, you know, if we can if we can address this well. I think it's a great opportunity for us to say this is damaging. We've seen the damage right up front of the way that, that our culture is changing with regard to sex and gender. And we're here to offer a different way. And it's been successful here for our churches 
to address really bad things that we weren't doing well uh, with, but now we are because we've applied these biblical principles, then I think, uh, I think that gives us an opportunity uh, to be heard better when we're trying to address the problems that are going on in the culture at large. And then I think the third thing that I would mention as a challenge that we face right now is, um, although people don't talk about this as much, uh, we still face kind of a current of post-denominationalism uh, in, the, in the life of the churches, Todd. And, uh, and so because of that, um, you know, it's, it's challenging. Uh, I'm sure that you guys face this in the Kentucky Baptist Convention with at least some churches. Uh, and it's not bad that we have to sell the merits of being involved in a family of churches. It kind of keeps us on our toes, you know, it helps us to, to, uh, to make sure that, that there are good reasons for that. Uh, but, uh, but I do think that it's challenging sometimes that there's a that there's a, a sort of cynicism, maybe maybe not a not a neutral. Okay, show me why. Uh, but but sometimes a cynical bent that says, why would I, why would I want to be a part of that? I'm just going to tend to my church, my local church, and make things happen. And uh, I think that makes it hard for a cooperative enterprise like the Southern Baptist Convention to succeed uh, when you have that kind of post-denominational zeitgeist uh, floating around out there. Art, that's really that's really helpful. Thank you for those three. So what is it about the role of SBC president? Uh, rather than asking you exactly how you would address these challenges, you, you probably have ideas, but how can an SBC president make a difference? I'll ask this question that way. Regarding these issues or others, what can an SBC president do to make a difference? We don't know yet what's in the Sex Abuse Task Force report, and so the president's role in that is going to be dependent somewhat on what comes out. And uh, not just in terms of findings, but also in terms of recommendations. Uh, so uh, we're going to have to wait and see about that. I will say that I've uh, demonstrated a history of being committed all in on doing the right thing for sex abuse victims and committed all in on our polity and our ecclesiology. And so I think the president can make a difference there, even just in the way he moderates the meetings and the, and the things that he thinks of uh, as ways for us to help address uh, these issues. Uh, but honestly, our, the, po- the folks who founded the Southern Baptist Convention deliberately decentralized power in the Southern Baptist Convention. And I think a lot of people who've served as president have been frustrated when they had uh, an agenda of things that they were going to accomplish and discovered how little opportunity they actually had to accomplish the things that they were planning to accomplish. Um, and um, But I, I embrace that decentralization of power. The power is really in the messenger body. And uh, the power to address some of these questions is found in the local church. Uh, but I can say some things that maybe help people to see that. I want to, uh, like in a forum at, at Keller uh, First Baptist Church not long ago, when all three of the nominees were there, potential nominees, um, the, you know, I had an opportunity to say, lean into your local association and also to your state convention. Uh, I, think, I think people overestimate what they can accomplish by being elected president of the SBC and underestimate what they can accomplish by being engaged at a more local level uh, in our Southern Baptist family. And, uh, but I can say that, and in saying that, maybe it helps encourage people to, to lean into those other positions and to be, and to be engaged. And then, you know, finally, I think uh, being president of the SBC uh, gives me the opportunity to call people and to model for people uh, a better kind of discourse uh, in the conversations that we have about the convention. 
That's, that's helpful. Thank you. So, Bart, lots of times our disagreements in the SBC are being played out on social media. Twitter has become the uh, playground for disagreement. Um, do you see that as a concern and why or why not? I could go back and find my own blogs and tweets and give you examples in me of the things I'm concerned about <laughs> in SBC social media. I tell people I've made all the mistakes. Um but uh, but also, I hope, could find some things in my own tweets to show a way forward. Um, honestly, uh, we're going to have to look to the Bible for our pattern instead of looking to other social media personalities for our pattern. Um, and, you know, we're, we're going to agree in content with some things that people in the world are saying. But we need to be different in terms of the content of our heart and the way that we're saying them. And um, our, our, our difference in character made by the Holy Spirit ought to be evident in our social media. It's not always. Uh, social media has done some good things for us in Southern Baptist life. I don't want to act like it's all bad. It's not all bad. Right. My church was collecting our Lottie Moon offering, and we had missionaries on the field replying by Twitter, cheering on my congregation for what we were doing, giving through Lottie Moon, uh, the Lottie Moon offering. The person, Lottie Moon, would have loved that. Yeah. She would have absolutely loved that. It lined up with what she did in her letters back home. And so social media is doing some great things uh, for the Southern Baptist Convention. We just have to be careful to, uh, to, to keep at bay those, those fleshly passions that can grab hold of your feed and really, really do damage. I appreciate you mentioning the upside, to, especially to Twitter. I had lunch today with one of our IMB missionaries who I met via Twitter. We first connected. He was in Chile, I'm, of course, here in Kentucky. We met, connected with Twitter. He was in the state, and he and I had, had lunch today. Amen. So, Bart, you mentioned the cooperative program a couple of times. So uh, give, give your definition. What is the cooperative program, and why does it matter? Yeah, so the cooper, cooperative program, uh, a lot of ways I could define it. It's the number one single budget item in FBC Farmersville's budget, that'd be one way that we could that we could define it. We give 10% through the cooperative program of all of our undesignated receipts. Uh, the best way to define it is to say this, instead of having individual ministries, and we have a lot of them, all coming to knock on your church door to beg to be included in your budget in some way or another, Baptists all come together cooperatively and set a budget together at the state convention level and at the national SBC level. We're, we get to participate in that decision-making, set a budget, and then we give to that cooperatively set budget, that unified stream of money that funds the whole picture of ministries, which is important because those ministries all depend on each other. They're all part of the big picture of fulfilling the work of the Great Commission that's been put before us, Todd. And so that's why we budget those things together. That's why we fund those things together. The missionary I had lunch with today would give that exact same answer, that his work is funded by our cooperative efforts together. So you've already told us the next question. I'm asking each candidate the same question, so I want to stick with that. But the next one would be, how do you support CP in your place of ministry? You've already told us your church sets aside 10% of its undesignated offerings. So I'm going to ask it this way. Why is that important to you? Why, why do you make such a substantial, substantial contribution to the cooperative program at Farmersville? Our church is very much uh, um, committed to the task of missions. Uh, in fact, in 2012, we 
we embraced an unengaged, unreached people group in the Casamance region of Senegal, the Jolabayat. Please pray for them. COVID has shut us out for a long time. We're eager to go back and we're headed back soon uh, over there. Uh, there no, there's no missionary presence there. It's the, it's the case study, some people would say, for not using the cooperative program. Because in addition to our cooperative program funding, we're, we're paying a lot of money to go over and try to share the gospel with this tribe ourselves. We're doing it on our own, and we're having some success. Uh, however, I look at that and say it's a case study for why to support the cooperative program. We wouldn't know this people group existed mm-hmm. if IMB-funded missionaries had not done the research to find them and to explore the degree to which they'd been engaged by the gospel. We wouldn't have known how to make arrangements to get there if IMB cooperative program-funded missionaries had not helped us to get there to begin with. And every time we've needed advice, we've turned to them to ask them about that. And I'll tell you, I've got a PhD from a Southern Baptist seminary, and in sharing the gospel with people who didn't finish high school in that region of Africa, I've had to draw on things I learned in History of Spiritual Awakening seminar with Roy Fish. Uh, I had to draw on things I didn't learn until I was in PhD studies to be effective in sharing the gospel uh, over there in that part of the world. And so even my Southern Baptist Seminary training has proven to be indispensable uh, in our work over there, uh, sharing the gospel. The same thing has been true of our efforts to plant churches in uh, in Montana and, and other places in the United States. And so it's important to us because the Great Commission is a commandment to us. Our church needs to be faithful in trying to fulfill it. And it's such a resource for us. We're so much more effective in the things, even that we do independently because of our participation with works that are funded by the cooperative program. Bart, how do you respond to those who would say they'd like to see greater financial transparency with our national entities regarding the dollars that are sent to them. That wasn't one of the questions, but it came in from one of our, our listeners, so I, I thought I'd go ahead and set it in front of you. You may have church members from time to time that say, Bart, I'm not sure I know where these dollars go. Do you have any thoughts on the transparency issue with our national entities? So I sure do. We're we're very much committed to financial transparency here at First Baptist Farmersville. And in fact, uh, I've done this two or three times when I asked this question on some of these forums. Uh, my church pays me $77,200 a year. That's my salary. It's it's printed in the budget every year. Everybody in our church sees it. I know that not every church does that, but our church does. And every staff members, uh, their their salary is printed to the penny there in front of everybody. Uh, but you know what? The other thing is we've really cultivated and discipled toward an environment of civility here at FBC Farmersville too. And, um, and yeah, I go way out of my way to tell them I'd be your pastor for half that. Uh, God's called me to be here. I'd, I'd be your pastor for next to nothing. Uh, you might have to let me get another job so I can take care of my family uh, alongside it. But um, and, and I always tell them how thankful I am for what they provide. But the people in the church have never been vindictive. The people are on staff. It hasn't really caused friction or anything like that because we've tried to cultivate a, a, a culture of civility and love and kindness uh, here in our church. That's not always the environment every church has. I, I think some some churches uh, are less transparent about salaries and about some of the other things because they face hostility instead of civility sometimes in their congregation. Uh, and 
you know, they're in a spot where I would encourage them move toward more transparency, but do that by working to cultivate more civility uh, in your congregation, where that's something that, that you can do. I'd say the same thing for the SBC. I love transparency. Sunlight's best disinfectant and and uh, and and transparency is a good way to encourage people to give. And uh, I don't know what the salaries of all of our folks at the SBC level are. Um, I hope I hope they're I hope they're more than seventy seven thousand two hundred and something dollars a year because it's a it's a huge job. We want to be able to have really good talent uh, want to go service in those ways and know that they can take care of their families and it's a wise decision for them to make and um, and take on the risks that that go with taking that kind of a position. Um, but I think but but I think if we want to have more transparency. If we would demonstrate more civility, that'd be good. But the last thing I'd say is this, Todd. I think um, for people who want more transparency, uh, I think the Sex Abuse Task Force is really a good case study for us to look at. It's one thing when one person in the Southern Baptist Convention wants more transparency, or even when four or five churches or a group of people on Facebook or whatever want more transparency in the Southern Baptist Convention. But when the messenger body wanted a transparent investigation of the executive yep. committee, they got it. And Our, so that's an example of our system. Our system works. It you works. Have to, you have to work our system, but it, it 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 can work to get to the issues that are concerning people. It does. So I suspect we've got exactly the level of transparency at the SBC that our messenger body actually cares about and wants. Yeah, that's really helpful. So if um, if my predecessor, Dr. Paul Chitwood, used to remind us that you eat at the table of the cooperative program, you need to promote the cooperative program. What is your uh, short stump speech for promoting the cooperative program? How would you promote it as president of the SBC? I would say that it's the only way that your church can give to multiply your effect in fulfilling the Great Commission that also allows you to enjoy accountability of all the people who are performing that work to your church in terms of their effectiveness or their doctrinal standards or whatever else. We just, First Baptist Farmsville, we just don't fund, except for our local association, we just don't fund anything outside of the cooperative program in terms of missions work. And, And for that reason, when people come and ask me, hey, man, I agree with you doctrinally, and I'm going to a great place. Come fund me. You can do this in addition to your cooperative program or whatever. Fund me a little bit. I always say, hey, listen, with a cooperative program and all those entities, if something goes wrong, we can go to the annual meeting and we can do something about it. And, um, you know, with, with, with your group, we could give and give and give for years and years and years, and then they could just decide to do something that was completely uh, out of, out of bounds for us, and and all we could do would be wave goodbye uh, and and walk away. So I think it's a it's a great example of how our cooperative spirit and our our congregational polity work to make the best possible way for us to share the gospel with the nations. All right, good stuff, sweet. You're going to tighten it up a little bit to get in that thirty <laughs> seconds, but you're. I warned you. <laughs> All right. What do you What do you see, Bart? You've kind of already answered this, but what do you see as the greatest threat to our cooperative approach to funding worldwide ministry and missions? I, I think our our tendency to become um, well, I'd say it this way. I, I think two things could pose a great threat to our cooperative way of missions. One would be a lack of vigilance, mm-hmm. because vigilance is good about 
about doctrine and methodology and everything else. But the other would be hypervigilance. And there's a myth afoot that says that if vigilance is good, hypervigilance is better. But it's mm -hmm. not. It's not better. And so right now, at this moment, the kind of hypervigilant uh, uh, attitude that's constantly finding people to fire uh, is probably not something that's, that's helpful for us. Uh, I don't want us to have – we could send money all day long. If nobody wanted to work for us, yeah. the money's not really going to accomplish very much. And so – um, so I think that poses a real danger. All right. Quick and final questions. What books are you currently reading? Uh, so right now I am uh, actually reading a couple of commentaries on the gospel of Luke because we're about to, we're about to preach a series through Luke and I'm devoted to that right now. I have also been, uh, rereading, uh, a book on, well, you don't have time for me to do that. Uh, so Dermot McCullough has a, a masterful biography of Thomas Cranmer. And, um, and, and that's a, a much misunderstood figure in uh, English Baptist uh, Episcopalian uh, uh, history, Anglican history. And, uh, and it's just it's a it's a great biography. I would recommend to people who want to understand that period. And it intersects with Baptist life substantially. Who is the leader that you've enjoyed spending time with, and what did you observe this leader doing well? Uh, so I think um, can I can I do more than one? <laughs> you could well if you do quick. Okay, all right. Uh, Jim Richards, who was the oh, yeah. uh, executive director of the Southern Baptist Texas Commission for a long time, and uh, what I saw him do very well. Uh, our, our state convention has done something that I don't know if any other state convention has done it. We reached out and built a relationship with the Baptist Missionary Association of Texas. Yep. Uh, I wrote I wrote my dissertation about the split in Arkansas between that kind of Baptist and Southern Baptist. And so it blessed me greatly to watch him cultivate those relationships and work toward a better understanding between these two groups that I don't think ever should have split to begin with. And I think that was, I think that was a, a trumped up division on meaningless stuff uh, in 1902 that, that led to that split. So I've enjoyed seeing that and I've seen that work up close. I took too long on that. So I'm just gonna stick with that one. I'll well, you, you can't do better than Jim Richards. He is absolutely one of the one of the best, and his predecessor uh, Nathan Nathan Lorick is yeah, his successor is outstanding. All right, uh, best ministry advice you've ever received and tried to apply in your ministry. Uh, so I'll I'll give a couple of them. First of all, Mark Dever says that people underestimate what they can accomplish in the first. Uh, they overestimate what they can accomplish in the first year and underestimate what they can accomplish in ten years. That's completely true. The other one is whoever comes to you the moment you get to a church and tells you how bad the other guy was and how glad they are that you're here, run in the other direction because yeah. they'll be after you inside of six months. That's advice. The first, the first folks to come to you. All right. So, uh, Bart, thank you for taking the time here. Any closing argument that you'd like to say to the SBC messengers from Kentucky Baptist churches who'll be at, uh, in Anaheim? Why should they con why should they vote for you? Uh, well, I'm going to give them what is the pinned tweet on my Twitter feed. Uh, just pray and vote your conscience because you owe that to the Lord. And you don't owe me anything other than to love me. And uh, and I owe that to you, too. And so uh, I, I believe if, if you'll prayerfully consider 
uh, and ask God. The Holy Spirit will lead you and help you and inform yourself on the issues. Find out what different folks are saying, but but pray uh, and and let the let the Lord guide you in casting more about. All right, thank you. Thank you for joining Leadership Lessons. Thank you for being willing to be considered as a candidate. Been great. Uh, president. And by the way, you made it through this time without mentioning Matt Hensley. That'll be a disappointment to him, but a uh, great job for great job for you. That's my goal every day. <laughs> Uh, thank you for listening to Leadership Lessons. This program is made possible by the generous support of Kentucky Baptist through the Cooperative Program. If you'd like to know more about the KBC, go to kybaptist.org. If you'd like to hear more stories of God making a difference through Kentucky Baptist churches, go to kentuckytoday.com. Thank you, Bart. Thanks for listening to Leadership Lessons. This program is made possible by the generous contributions by Kentucky Baptist through the Cooperative Program. For more information about the Kentucky Baptist Convention, go to kybaptist.org. And for news about how Kentucky Baptist churches are making a difference, go to kentuckytoday.com.